the Tree Line studios of PBS 39 at the PPNL Public Media Center in Bethlehem, PA, in the shadow of the blast furnaces that made the steel that built the Empire State Building and the Golden Gate Bridge, it's time for another antsy hour of chemical-free horticultural hijinks you bet your garden. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Can ants kill a tree? On today's show, we'll reveal what's really going on when carpenter ants are found in your tree or terrace and why you should say thanks for the heads up. Otherwise, it's a phone call show, cats and kittens. That's right. That means we will take that heap and helping of your telecommunicated questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and hideously helpful hallucinations. So open up your eyes and or ears because it all starts right here and right now. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up a little bit later in the show, what do we have coming up later in the show? Can ants kill a tree? What an intriguing question. We will tell you all about ants and what they do and don't do to wood when we get to the question of the week. In the meantime, though, we're taking that heap and helping of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9500. 88. Robin, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, how are you doing? I am doing just ducky today, Robin. Thank you for asking. How are you? I am well, thank you. And where is Robin well? Robin is well in a little town called Leapers Fork, Tennessee. Uh, Is that near Nashville or Memphis? It's near Franklin. Okay, very good. Now, normally I don't disclose this, but we actually have your full name up on the screen, and I can't believe this. You're Robin of Lockwood? Yes. (laughs) That can't be. I visited your grave when I was in Nottingham back in the 70s. (laughs) Okay. That's kind of interesting. All right. What can we do for Robin in Tennessee? Well, my question has to do with pestilence. Okay, we got plenty of that. (laughs) So I have a client. We installed a formal garden. And this past growing season, um, we had a terrible time with uh, squash bugs and pill bugs or roly-polies. Gotcha. Call them down here. Now, I, I, I want to stop you there both to tell our audience one thing and then to ask you a couple of quick questions. You obviously have a medical condition that can make speaking difficult at times, right? Yes. But it's not it's not harming you, right? We're not causing you pain or anything like that. Oh, no. Okay. No, I just sound like I'm always in emotional distress, but I'm not. Right. Well, see, and I always am in emotional distress, but never sound like it. So we kind of balance each other out. Now, roly-poly, sow bugs, pill bugs, these are not felt to be garden pests. These are creatures that dwell right on the soil surface, and they recycle a plant debris into the soil. Generally, if they are found inside a, a fruit or a crop of some kind, it's opportunistic like ants. Something else did the damage, and they kind of crawled over to help themselves, kind of like you find with millipedes as well. Uh Don't tell me you bit into a sound tomato and there was a toy surprise inside. Uh, I didn't, but my client did. 
I, I, that could be bad reportage, I would think. <laughs> yes. Now, uh, you say you design and install gardens for clients. When, when you do this for a vegetable garden, are you building raised beds for them? No, we are not. I can tell you you will avoid 90% of your problems if you change your design from flat earth to raised beds, especially if people are paying you to install gardens Raised beds have a much more artistic look. They look really well designed. And you'll never have to till them or do anything that would encourage weeds because you never step in them. Once you build the raised bed, four feet, no wider than four feet, as long as you want. You can build a railroad car as long as it's not longer than four feet wide. Nobody ever steps in it. The soil doesn't get compacted. Grassy weeds can't cross over into it the way they can in a flat earth garden. And you literally, because the soil stays so loose and light and air and water can really get to the roots of the plants in the optimum way, you really do grow twice as much in half the space. And I can't even begin to explain to you how much nicer it looks, how much of a clean look. And even though you're putting in two-foot walking lanes between the raised beds, um, you still gain planting space. It, it's an amazing system, and it, it's really the backbone of any organic garden. And I agree with you 100%. And this opportunity was uh, uh, put in front of the clients mm-hmm. at the time of design. My suggestion for this is to tell them, look, you know, you can tell us what you want, but if it doesn't make any sense, it's not going to work. So here's what we propose. Now we're going to build the raised beds. We're going to build them right on top of this stuff, but we're going to build it deep enough that the weeds down there aren't going to come through. You frame out areas that are as long as you want, four feet wide, put a single layer of cardboard down on top of the old soil just to smother the weeds for that first Uh, generation, and then go out and test different levels of topsoil and compost until you get a combination that both pass what we call the duck test. You know, it didn't raise weeds, it grew healthy plants, it looks good, it smells good, and it feels good. Fill the raised beds up with them, and it it will be so much less work for you and them, and you're really not going to have pest problems in a situation like that because you're avoiding the major stresses on the plants. And healthy plants know how to blow away pests without your help. All right. I'll, I'll bring that to their attention. Yeah, and because if you're going to do this, you, you have to bring your expertise to the table. Otherwise, they're just, they're just hiring a backbone. Um, you really should stand up for a design that is going to last and be productive for many, many years. And don't fail to stress the look, that it's going to be very attractive. Absolutely. So um, the question still remains, though, if, if, if the client still refuses raise bets, what would you suggest that we do? I would, say I, can't, I would say I can't help you. You're in the wrong store. I'm serious. I'm serious. A flat earth gardening. I mean, that's so 18th century. Um, When you hire someone like you, you should be hiring expertise. 
and you got to stand firm. I mean, any if they get somebody else to build it for them, it's going to be just as crappy. You know, whereby if you do it the right way, they're going to smack themselves for not coming around earlier. It's really the only way to handle it. All righty. All right, Robin of Lockwood. <laughs> Thank you very much for your time. I truly appreciate it. All right, watch out for that sheriff now. Absolutely. All right, take care, Rob. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. All right, that number to call, one 9588 You really can. Call it any time of the day or night. Check me out on that. 833-727-9588. Ken, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hello. Hello, Ken. How you doing, man? I'm, I'm wonderful. How are you? I am just ducky today, thanks for asking. Where is Ken Wonderful? In uh, southwest Missouri, Rogersville, just 40 minutes north of Branson. Oh, okay. The big entertainment capital of Missouri. Oh, yes. It, it, it has grown so much in the last 20 years till it's unbelievable. So do you go to, is it Dolly Land or Dollyville? It's, no, it's... Uh, Dollywood. Silver Dollar City. Yeah. All right, so what can we do for Ken in Rogersville, Missouri? Well, I have uh, used to live in Mississippi, and I had a big, huge uh, fig tree that was taller than my head. I had to get a ladder to pick the figs. Good, good. It never froze back in the winter. Right. I have moved to Missouri in, uh, 39 years ago, and I cannot keep a fig tree to grow it'll freeze to the ground and then it will uh sprout up from the earth the branches that grow this year will not sprout next year right what can i do to keep it through the winter well at that it's actually going to be pretty easy but i'm a little surprised i've been to your area of missouri and yes. i my sense was the winters were fairly mild yes so, well, I have had three fig trees, and uh, I bought another one last spring. It did real well this summer. Right. And, of course, we had a freeze uh, night before last, and it lost all its leaves. Now, I put a wire cage around it and right. filled it up with leaves. Is that permissible through the winter? Yeah, yeah, that's one way to do it. Uh, shredded leaves would be better than whole leaves. They form a much better insulation. I'm just wondering, um, you know, figs are Mediterranean plants. They need to be protected up north and in the mid-Atlantic where I am. But you're considered southern, especially down in the southwest corner. So is it planted in a really wet area or a low area on your property? No, it's, it's just in level ground. I have it about 10 to 15 feet on uh, from my house on the south side. Okay. And you said you got good growth this year, but you, it wasn't good long enough to get figs? No, it was not. Oh, that's depressing. Yeah, so you've done a good job so far. Um, generally, you know, all we need to do is protect it, mostly from the desiccating winds. A lot of people don't realize the winter wind is very dry. 
And when right. that dry wind blows across an unprotected plant, it can suck all the moisture out of it. So okay. you put you put a wire cage around it. You filled the cage with whole leaves, just leaves yes. that you raked up. Yes. yes. And how far up did you go? I went about six inches above the uh, stalk, which was about three and a half foot high. Okay, so you got a good number of leaves. Now, those leaves are packing down, though, aren't they, Ken? Well, I just put them in the day before yesterday, so they haven't settled. Okay. Now, ideally, if we could go back in time, or if you wanted to give yourself a little bit of insurance work, I would take that cage off, and I would get a leaf blower with a reverse setting. Any electric leaf blower has a reverse setting and a different nozzle and a collection bag. And you just suck the leaves up into the machine, and it shreds them into fine particles. You can also okay. do the same thing by running over the leaves with a bagging lawnmower. Okay. Now, that's going to reduce their size to one-tenth of what it was before. So you'll, sure. need a, you'll need a lot more leaves to fill that cage. But it is, it's a great way to preserve uh, the tree. Because, you know, the whole leaves, they get wet, they get frozen, they get matted down. That doesn't happen with shredded leaves, which are the consistency of shredded newspaper. So right. I would think if you shredded those leaves and filled that cage, you do really well. And, yeah. you know, figs are really half-hardy. They're only really vulnerable for maybe the six worst weeks of winter. So you can even take that cage off earlier than you would put out your tomatoes. A couple of light frosts won't hurt it. It's just that... Right. Just a couple of killer weeks in the middle of winter. Uh, okay. Don't don't mulch the fig after you take the cage off. Don't feed it anything, but do take a really good look at it after you get the cage off. And there may be a couple of branches that look browned out or unhappy. I want you to prune off the tips of those branches. If the fig okay. looks perfect, I want you to do a little light pruning all around. Just take off okay. a couple of inches from every branch. That'll right. that'll stimulate growth earlier in the season, and then almost certainly you'll have plenty of time to get a nice crop of figs. Okay. But yes, uh, I, I, I like the, the way you're was about three and a half, four foot high. Right. Uh, when I purchased it, and it uh, did very well in the summer. Okay. Um, but it just didn't have any figs to it. Yeah. Well, that's um if you start out with a with a good plant with some good biomass and don't forget yours got planted in the spring, so it had a little bit of transplant shock, but starting out with a fig that's in the ground that comes out healthy, um you should do fine. They don't need another fig for pollination. They just need a very specialized wasp to come around. And that wasp is all over your area. So you shouldn't have right. to do anything except get ready to pick figs. Right. Now, what kind of fertilizer would I put on it in the spring? Nothing. Nothing. Figs Nothing. and raspberries are trash plants. They do best with the least um, with the least fertilization, with the least nutrients. The best thing you can do is when you take the cage off, leave a mulch of about two inches of shredded leaves around the bottom, especially from the bottom of the cage, because underneath those leaves is going to be compost. That's all right. you need to do. Right.
So you're really storing the fertilizer with the fig already. That sounds sounds like a plan. All right. Good luck, Ken. Okay. Thank, thank you so much. Take care, sir. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, do you panic when carpenter ants are seemingly eating away at the wood of your trees or your house? Well, I've got good news for you and good news for you about those carpenter ants. You should say thank you. We'll explain why after lots more of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Now, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you, Mike. How are you? I am just ducky today, Nell. Thank you for asking. How are you doing? I'm okay. Well, my uh, ornamental weeping cherry isn't doing well at all. Where are Nell and her ornamental weeping cherry? One of my favorite trees, by the way. Yeah, we're in Darby, PA. Okay. What's wrong with your poor cherry tree? Um, it's bleeding from the trunk in amber sap, and I'm not sure if it's a bacterial infection, and I'm, of course, not sure of how to cure it. So I'm right. going to ask you. Uh, where is it planted? Is it in a raised bed? Is it in flat? It's in a pot. It's in a pot? Okay. Yes. How long has it been trapped in prison? <laughs> For about a year now. Actually, I got it... Uh, in the well, actually, not even a year. About in the spring. Okay. Uh, I bought it last spring. And did you intend to try to keep it in the pot? Yes. Okay. Yeah. It's not a good idea. Okay. Um, cherry trees uh, need a certain number of chilling hours, which is hours below forty-five degrees, basically. Um, okay. But they will freeze to death if their roots are above ground in a pot. Second, that would have to be some monster-sized pot not to start squeezing the roots and compressing them and uh, causing them to girdle themselves. So is this the pot you bought it in? No. No, I had transpotted it into a pot, and I was going to do it again into a much larger pot come this spring. Uh, Yeah, well, you wouldn't have anything to transplant if you hadn't called me. (laughs) Now, uh, what kind of pot? What's the pot made of? Uh, I have a plastic pot. Okay, good drainage holes in the bottom? Yes, and, and up on the sides about two inches. And what did you fill the pot with? Uh, I filled it with a mixture of peat moss and some perlite, as well as some garden soil. Okay, your garden soil? Yes. Okay, one of the firm rules of container gardening is don't use any of your own soil. This oh, is, okay. Yeah, it's really your chance to do a good job. Um, And peat moss alone is highly acidic. So when you use peat moss in a container, which which might not be totally forbidden, you need to add some wood ash or lime to bring the soil back up to neutral. So so, uh, ideally in the future, half compost, half potting soil. And I love the perlite. The perlite is really good. Now, is there a place that you can plant this outside in any way, shape, or form? No. So you don't have any ground? No. Do you have— Not, do you, for, not for another tree. I already have uh, four trees currently. Okay. But this tree isn't big yet, is it? No, it isn't. Okay. It's actually quite small. Is there a place you could do what's called healing it in? Uh, dig a hole and drop the pot underground and then cover the pot with soil until the spring and then bring it back up again yes i may be able to do that okay and you said that on the trunk there's a spot where amber ooze is coming out yes okay about two or three spots 
two or three spots. Yes, those would be cherry tree borers, B-O-R-E-R-S, um, either beetles or some other creature whose larval stage goes into the tree and weakens it. So this is, this is fun. Now you're going to get a big, heavy paper clip, and you're going to stab it into each of those holes and see if you can find any animal matter inside. Uh, really, really go around in there, clean it out. Make sure you don't leave any living borers inside. Okay. And then even though your hands are going to beg you to do it, you're not going to fill in those holes with anything. You're going, to, okay. you're going to let nature take care of that. Um, the borers are attracted to trees that are stressed. This is not a normal situation. Uh, this is not typically uh, a, a plant that is kept in a container, especially outdoors over winter. So you're going to have to keep transplanting it up into, into bigger pots. You're going to have to keep um, healing it in every winter. It's fine once the roots get below the soil line. Um, or you may decide that this is too much trouble and give it to a friend who would like a nice flowering cherry tree. Yeah, that sounds like more of a deal. <laughs> yeah, and don't feel bad. Uh, people really misunderstand plants and pots. Um, yeah. If you go to our website, you go to youbetyourgarden.org, and you click on the link that says, here's the answers to all your garden questions, and you look for plants and pots over winter, you'll find that this comes up every year. And it is often a high percentage of our questions around this time of year and in the spring when the people notice the plants are dead. Yeah. Okay, okay now? Well, thank you very much. Thank you for answering my question. Oh, thank you for asking it. You take care, and um, I hope your tree does well. All right, thank you. You too. Bye-bye. 1-833-727-9588. Marlene, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. How are you doing today? I am just ducky today, Marlene. How are you doing? I'm doing great. And where is Marlene doing great? I am down in Northeast Maryland. Oh, not in the northeast corner of Maryland. You're in the town called Northeast where the Oblates have the seminary and Our Lady of the Highways watches over the car crashes on I-95. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Very good. What can we do for Marlene in Maryland? So I bought a fig tree a couple of years ago, about four years ago. I planted it, and it's grown beautifully, and it's given me scrumptious figs every year. Excellent. However, this spring, I noticed that there was some white, powder on some of the branches and it was really slow to forming its leaves and its fruit it didn't start bearing fruit until i'm going to say early september mm -hmm. and the fruit never completely ripened Aww. and i'm not sure what went wrong oh yeah I... sure you are now <laughs> now was there anything special about this past season that you noted marlene perhaps the complete and total absence of the sun and maybe the 127 inches of rain you got in the first week of June? You're absolutely right. We did get a ton of rain this year. Other parts of my garden did beautifully, um, but maybe that is what did not do so well for my fig tree. It's possible. Is it planted in a low spot in your landscape or in a spot that collects water? 
No, it's actually uh, uh, planted kind of close to our house in sort of a protected area away from the wind, and it drains away from the house. Excellent, excellent. But do gutters come down near it? Uh, no, we don't have gutters. They, they're going out the front of our house. Okay, excellent. So the problem was probably a one-year a one-year issue where just, you know, the ground never had a chance to dry out. Is the rest of your garden raised beds? Yes. I see. Those of us with raised beds got a good harvest despite all that rain because the rain had some place to drain away to. Can you just imagine what it was like in a flat garden, a uh, flat earth garden? Your plants were underwater all summer. Yeah, they, there were sections uh, near the house uh, that were wet much more than I would have anticipated in a normal year. Yeah, there's nothing normal. That year was biblical. I'm glad to have it behind us. Now, what, do you protect your fig tree over winter? You know, I, in the first two years I was, but now that the fig trees, it's about 10 or 12 feet tall, I used to wrap it in burlap, and mm-hmm. it's just I just can't seem to wrap that much burlap around it at okay. this point. Okay, good, good. Yes, well, I mean, it, the, the wrapping is most important in the earliest years while the tree has the least biomass. Uh, but I have to warn you that a, a really nasty prolonged cold winter could kill it, especially with the soil so saturated. So, um, and, and by the way, the white powder on your, on your leaves was uh, powdery mildew. Okay. And it's just unavoidable in a year like that. Um, so what I'd like you to do, because it's so close to your house and stuff, do you think you could just drive some stakes into the ground around the tree, in front of the tree, not, not Mm -hmm. touching it, um, but then wrap burlap around those stakes just to make a little bit of a windbreak for it. Okay. Okay. Uh, when people talk about wrapping figs, a lot of times they mistakenly think they got to wrap the thing up in plastic or wrapping paper or burlap. And as you know, from those first couple of years, sometimes that burlap gets soaking wet and then freezes and it can do more harm than good. So I want you to do a little bit of protection, but you don't have to touch the actual tree. Just do something to break the wind and only take it up as high as you're comfortable. If it can only go up five, six, seven feet, don't worry about it. In the spring, I want you to prune off any damaged areas, any areas that got winter killed. But it also sounds like although your location is really good for protection, there might be a little bit of an airflow problem in there. So especially, did you mostly see the mildew down low? Um, I believe so, yes. You know, so what I think you should do is not only prune off any winter-damaged areas, but I would go down and I would take out some, because you know how big these fig leaves are. They're Mm -hmm, enormous. mm -hmm. Take out some of the ones that are blocking the airflow, especially down low. That won't limit the amount of figs you get. Matter of fact, the harvest will be increased somewhat through selective pruning because pruning at that time really stimulates growth in figs. And figs, although we don't talk about it as much as with grapes, figs do well if leaves are picked during the season. That's why we have so many uh, recipes for uh, fig leaves, Uh, you know, wrapped in stuff. You know, people learned long ago that the leaves are edible and it's good to open up the the fig itself to good airflow. So I think your problems are small. I think they were limited to that one year. Just give it a little bit of protection, 
this winter, and then next year give it a good haircut when the when the wrapping comes down, and take off a lot of the big leaves at the bottom because you get your best crops toward the top anyway. All right. Sounds like a doable plan. All right. Good luck, Marlene, and congratulations on your fig success in the past. Thank you very much. All right. You take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Give us a call, 833-727-9588. Like Tim. Tim, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hello, Mike. Where are you, Tim? Uh, I'm out in Calverton, New York. Okay. Near Riverhead. Now, what I got is uh, I have sod uh, that I've done more than once at the house. Mm-hmm. And it's gone foul again. You know, I have a sprinkler system. But now I would really like to put down a new lawn uh but what do I do with the sod? Well, okay. Do I have to, do I have to rip it up completely? Yeah. Um, or can I mulch it? Or yeah, yeah, what, yeah. what are my options? You don't have any good options. I would, I would move. I would, I would put the house up for sale in the winter and get out. No. Um, when sod is installed, as did you install it yourself or did you have a pro do it? Uh, my brother-in-law's a pro, so he helped me. Okay. Well, as you know, you guys had to dig up a considerable amount of subsoil to right. in, to I, yeah. to install the sod because the the roots of the sod have a considerable height to them. So, mm-hmm. really, what you would need to do is you would need to pull up the sod, which would you know it'll come up easier than quote a regular grass because it was laid down like a carpet. But then you've got inches and inches of material that you're going to have to add, you know, high-quality top topsoil and compost. How large is the area, Tim? Uh, probably about a quarter of an acre. Oh, wow. That sod was expensive. Yep. Mm. yep. So that's what you want to avoid that expense again. Oh, yeah. I definitely don't want to go sod again. Okay. Bugs so, and stuff like that. And so just, what's the know. matter with this grass? And did you dare turn on any of those sprinklers? Or were they on automatic and they drowned your lawn over the summer? They were on automatic, but it hasn't been. I, I haven't taken care of it in about two years. The lawn just went bad, and I just didn't end up using the sprinklers because it was in bad shape. Now, it now, I didn't know now what Tim, you say really you were. say the lawn went bad. So yep. what what was it doing? Smoking cigarettes, hanging out at the pool it, hall? It, it had a lot of brown patches, even when we were watering it. I would recommend what's called a turf type tall fescue. Make sure turf, you make sure you turf, buy a branded turf. variety. Turf right. type tall fescue and it'll have a brand that'll stay say something like Rebel Mustang Rebel Mustang number 47, something like that. Make sure okay. you buy a really high quality seed and save the bag. Um, okay. sow the seed into your new seed bed. Um, water it gently twice a day until the new grass comes up, no straw or other nonsense, and then be very gentle with it until we get to, let's say, after it's been up and growing for like six weeks, better to let it get a little too tall. Always leave your clippings on the lawn, and because you've got the compost in the mix, you won't need to feed it the first year. You want to okay. you want to save is, the bag. Is there a problem doing it in the spring as opposed to waiting until the fall? No, there's no problem. It just won't work. Oh, oh, you seeding in the spring doesn't work. No, the soil's freezing cold. Okay. In the fall, the soil is exactly the right temperature for rapid germination, 
And okay, so the only way to bring it over to a new lawn is to get rid of the sod and and fall. Yeah, uh, where you are, where you are, August fifteenth is the magic date to sow the new seed. Oh, really? Yes. Okay, I always thought it was late September. Okay. No, 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 because you're you're already chilly out there now. The soil's getting cool again. The days are getting shorter. No, August fifteenth. Okay. All right, and make sure you save that bag because you'll be overseeding in the future, and you want to make sure to match it exactly. Gotcha. Well, thank you very much, Mike. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, Tim. You take care. I man. have I have one other question for you. Well, good. You I should have, call in I, again. I, I, oh, oh, okay. I just have overgrown roses, and I didn't know when the best time to cut them down is. In the spring. In the spring. Not in the fall. spring. You okay. can do it in the dead of winter if you want, but don't cut them too short. Very good. Thank you, Mike. All right. My pleasure, Tim. Take care. You have a good day. Bye-bye. Dorothy, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thanks, Mike. How are you? I am just ducky today, Dorothy. How are you doing? I'm both well and fortunate. Okay. Where is Dorothy both well and fortunate? In Elkton, Maryland. I know Elkton, Maryland. That was the that was the famous place you ran away to get married because you didn't have to take a blood test or something like that? Oh, that's right, with Dad in hot pursuit. Yeah, that's it. Shotgun capital of the world. Darn too. All right, what can we do for Dorothy and historic Elkton? Well, Dorothy is a fallible soul, and she did something, and then later she heard you say that it was oh so wrong, and now I'm wondering, is there any hope? Can I undo the damage? Well, uh, proceed. My crime was starting a compost heap and then going to Walmart and getting fishing worms and dumping them in there. Oh, that's interesting. They have thrived, but I heard you say that they murder the local worms. Am I correct? No, no. Um, oh. No. Now, the, quote, bait worms that you purchased at Wally World, they yeah. are long, slender red worms. Well, there was a bunch of different kinds, and I probably grabbed several just to, in the hopes they'd survive. I can't really recall. Because you know, fishing worms, obviously, is, is a large category. Were you to have a worm bin in your house um, where worms would be eating your kitchen garbage for you and turning it into worm castings, which is really the only material that's actually better um, than compost at growing plants, you would be specifically given red wigglers, the Cadillac of worms. Ah. But I know that um, other places will sell the Catalpa worm, which is actually a form of caterpillar. And some people swear by, quote, night crawlers, the, the common outdoor worm. Well, I kind of had to get over my terror of worms in general. I'm more afraid of worms than I am from snakes, and I realize that's very silly. Well, they're, I, uh, they're, they're both you know, I good for you. I just kind of ran to Walmart, grabbed those containers out of the refrigerator, you know, chose more than one kind, and just, you know, uh, looked away while I dumped them and then threw some dirt over top. Okay. They are thriving. Yeah. I just thought that I had heard you say that they weren't really the best environmental choice. Am I wrong? Uh, well, uh, uh, yes. Yes. In one sense, you're wrong. But there's some confusing information out there about worms. There is a consensus in the scientific community that there are no native worms left in our part of North America, that the little ice age that occurred 10,000 years ago uh, wiped out all the native species of worms. And then there were no worms for quite a long time 
until literally the pilgrims and other immigrants brought over potted plants that had European earthworms in the soil. And those European earthworms have escaped, so to speak. They've become part of our environment and ecology. Some scientists don't like them. They think they transform the forest floor too quickly because the job of of many of these worms is to take the fallen debris, the leaves, the dead plants, and turn it back into soil. I I have a hard time believing that Native American earthworms didn't survive, but that's neither here nor there. Um, The idea is that there are specialized worms. Now, earthworms, the ones that are out there wherever they came from, if you have a compost pile or a bin and it is open to the ground, you know, it's sitting on top of a lawn or a patch of dirt, Uh then as that material gets piled in, earthworms are going to come in. They are going to come in and they're going to work the contents. They're going to eat your kitchen scraps. They're going to eat the fall leaves. And they are going to leave behind worm castings. Um, And the nice thing about making sure you have ground contact is if you make superb compost, you make it really good with well-shredded leaves and coffee grounds, that compost is going to naturally heat up quite a bit. Well, earthworms aren't dumb. They'll stay in the center of the compost until it gets too warm. Then they'll drop back into the subsoil, and then they'll come back in again after the compost is finished and work it over and over again, making it even better and better. So that's a great solution, and you you don't have to introduce the worms. Intr- so for future, should I move, for example, I'll just put the compost out there and let nature take its course. Exactly. Had you limited yourself to true composting worms, the red wigglers, they would have done the same thing, but they could not survive winter. Earthworms have the ability and the desire to go six feet deep in the, in the worst of winter and even in the worst of summer and come back up when the temperatures are more, more nicer. Um, composting worms can't do that. That's why worm bins have to be kept inside unless you're in San Diego or something like that. Yes, but you've, you've done no harm whatsoever. I don't believe there's any, well, I mean, there's, there's the nasty worms that you see on those late night TV shows, the monster inside me and everything like that. <laughs> um, but in terms of gardening, in terms of red wigglers or earthworms or night crawlers, all worms are good for the garden. All worms are good for the environment. Okay. One last question and I will run away. Um, should I prep the ground before dumping the compost on it? If it looks like, say, hard pan, do I need to grab my little weasel tool and just twist it up a little bit before I drop the compost on there, or will the worms work their way through? Did she just call me a weasel? A little weasel? No, dear. No, dear. I I'm was a, talking about my, my favorite tool. I'm a that well, Now, see, she's doing it again. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> no, the idea of when you apply compost, especially to raised beds, is you never want to disturb the soil underneath because that'll release old weed seeds. Just put the fresh compost on top, and it will actually improve the soil structure underneath without you moving it around. Wow. So easy is good, huh? Easy is always good. Bending is for chumps. Fantastic. Thank you so much. All right. Good luck, Dorothy. All right. 833-727-9588. Jonette, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you. Well, thank you, Jonette. How are you doing? I'm doing quite well. 
And where are you doing quite well? In Lockheed, Pennsylvania, which is central Pennsylvania, in Clinton County. Oh, okay. Right in the middle of the state there, huh? Yes, sir. All right. What can we do for Jonette in Central Pa? I have a bay window that runs about 120 inches long. And in front of it, I have three, let's just say, have not been manicured. We never liked them to begin with, waxy myrtles. Okay. That the only time that they'll appreciate it is on Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> We would like to get rid of them and wanted some suggestions on what we could replace um, in in that area. Okay. Um, uh, what uh, what type? If it's a bay window, I presume that gets a lot of sun out there. Yeah, it's um, east facing. My first thought, because this is an area, I mean, people always talk about the south side being hot and dry, but the east is is right second there, so. I like strong plants out there. I like plants with um, a lot of character around their base because they're going to stay low growing, right? You want you don't want that window blocked anymore. No, sir. I'm going to suggest low growing junipers. Okay. They have a lot of character. They develop really thick woody stems, um, but they're very hardy plants, and they have a very nice. Uh, bluish green needles. Um, they have little berries in the fall. Uh, they're very attractive plants, very hard to kill, and they would look nice under a bay window. They're the type of low-growing evergreen you could drop Christmas lights on to if that was your idea of a good time, and it would really set off the window. Fantastic. I like that idea. You have a wonderful day. Thanks so much. You too. Bye-bye. All right, as promised, it is time for our question of the week, which we're calling, Did Ants Kill a Tree? Angela, quote, way up in northern high-level Alberta, writes, I love to listen to your show on podcast, and I've got a problem with ants killing my trees. We decided to get rid of a row of poplar trees, as half of them were already dead, and we wanted to replace them with something else. As we pulled them out, we saw that most of their roots were infested with ants. Now I'm wondering how to prevent my other trees, the ones that are still standing, from dying of ants like the others did. Most of the ants were underground in the roots, so we didn't even know they were there. Well, I can generally earn a passing grade in horticulture on this show, despite never having taken a botany class. Eerily, I have taught a few as a guest instructor, but I always stuck to plants that I had personally grown. Entomology is another story. I read every book and article on insects I can get my hands on, and I'm always eager to upgrade that knowledge. I read a lot about ants. And when I first got this email, I had three thoughts. One, she saw termites, not ants. Two, the ants just happened to be there and had nothing to do with the tree homicides. Or three, there's a species of ant that I haven't yet encountered in my 30 years on this beat. So I emailed Angela back to ask, are you sure you didn't see a termite colony? Her response, I'm pretty confident they were ants. As we were cutting up the trees, I saw a big increase of ants in my garden a little ways off. But I also read that poplar trees can rot and die from the inside before any problems are visible on the outside. So maybe that's what attracted the ants? Bingo, Angie. You take a prize from the top shelf. 
you did find your own answer. Now, ants and termites are about equal in their dominance of this planet. The exact numbers are impossible to determine, but there are more ants and termites than there are anything else. Both live in large colonies and both depend on a queen to keep the enterprise moving along. There are a surprisingly limited number of different species of termites, but many thousands of very different species of ants, from annoying leaf cutters to deadly fire ants to the wonderfully named raspberry crazy ant. In general, ants are wonderful creatures to have around gardens and farms. They eat weed seeds, aerate the soil, and keep termites away. So like the ants, let's get termites out of the way. I focused on these creatures initially because termites will eat sound wood, that is living trees, lumber that has no problems like rot or dampness, piles of newspaper, cardboard. But Angie lives in an area that gets so cold, temps can dip to the low minus 60 degrees in winter. They ain't got no termites up there. The warmer your climate, the more termite species you'll have to contend with and the more destructive they'll tend to be. Angie lives in one of the few places on the planet that ain't got no termites. So back to ants. You may think that the term carpenter ant just refers to the familiar looking big black ants with little hard hats and tool belts. Unless they're the Amish strain, they wear straw hats. All seriousness aside, there are many types of carpenter ants throughout the world, and they all have one thing in common with real carpenters. They don't eat the wood. Like most ants, they are omnivorous, eating things like seeds and other insects. Carpenter ants transform wood, chewing through it to make homes and tunnels and spitting it all out in the form of sawdust. Those piles of sawdust are often the first sign that people have a problem. Although the ants are not the problem when this occurs. As Shakespeare once coined, the fault, dear Brutus, is not in our ants, but in our wood. Carpenter ants won't chew into good wood. In a home, their presence is a sure sign of dry rot or moisture damage. Rather than attack the ants, you should thank them for pointing out a problem that was only going to get worse. Replace the bad wood and the workers will wander off to another job site. In trees, carpenter ants are generally a sign that the tree is dead or dying. The big exception would be healthy trees with some branches that were damaged by wind, ice, snow, evil squirrels. Carpenter ants would be attracted to the damaged wood as it rots, making it more prone to unexpectedly drop onto your pumpkin head. That's why the advice is to always remove dead branches as soon as they appear. If carpenter ants are in the roots of a tree, those roots are soft and rotten, probably from poor drainage. Keep this in mind when you install the replacement trees. Position them at the highest points in your property. Make sure the root flares are visible above ground. Keep any mulch four to six inches away from the trunk, and don't let the mulch exceed two inches in height at any spot. I'll close by sending you to our website, where I hope you'll read a wonderful article from American Forest Magazine called Ants and Trees, A Lifelong Relationship. It'll really change the way you look at ants.
Well, that sure was a good rundown on why carpenter ants aren't the enemy now, wasn't it? Luckily for you, the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. To read it over in detail, just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will always forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you will always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to attack my ants if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 1-833-PBS-WLVT. Or if you are religious, try 833-727-9588. Or send us your email, you're tired, you're poor, you're wretched refuse teaming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. Please include your location. Hey, and you'll find all this new contact information at our website, youbetyourgarden.org, where you'll also find the answers to many of your garden questions, audio of this show, video of this show, and our podcast. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer and suspected producer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our engineer is Cheerly Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda McGrath. Check out her fine work and stay current with what's happening with the show at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Our website wonder is Anastasia Weckerly. Jazzy Jonas Bowen is our audio editor. Kelly, leader of the herd, is our video editor. Our floor manager and official Toho Film Studio historian is John DeSantis. Tyler Mann is our cameraman. Our director is harassed and harried Javier Diaz. Tremulous Tavia Minute works the phones. Regal, now say it with me, kids, Ron Ruscha, Ruscha, is our director of underwriting. Our marketing madman is Jaunty Jim McDonald. Adventurous Andy Cummins makes the equipment work. Our CEO, Tim Fallon, cannot explain why he and Playboy millionaire Bruce Wayne have never been photographed together. I'm your host, Ansi Mike McGrath, and you'll either see me, hear me, see and hear, and see me, or lose a penny when that old mutoscope machine doesn't work. Either way, I'll be back here again next week.